In summary, the foundations of the methodologies of the devil are rooted in three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I introduced you to the cosmos, uh, K-O-S-M-O-S, as the word for world. I've done an extensive set of teachings on the cosmos and the cosmocrator. Here I want to refer to them and to send you uh, to my app to, to study uh, the cosmos. It's the word for world, W-O-R-L-D, world. It's the Greek term K-O-S-M-O-S, cosmos. So there are three elements, or three bases for the entrapping power of Satan. The world is the construct of the methodologies. The flesh is the appeal to the human being. So there are these systems that are there, they're called the world, you're told not to love the world, which is not humanity, it's not people, it's a construct of systems that appeal to something in the person, something in you. You could have every kind of construct, but if it has no appeal to you, then it doesn't matter that it exists, as far as you're concerned. And in fact, part of the overcoming of the devil is to release oneself from any measure of reliance upon the world. You may use it, but don't ever rely on it. Use the world, but don't depend on it. Don't rely on it, because it is constructed as an alternative to God. So these systems have an appeal to you personally on the basis of the flesh, the flesh. The term flesh is both a reference to the physical body and to a mindset, a mindset as I mentioned earlier, rooted in three lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. A lust, you see, is not a particular action. A lust is a condition of the heart. It's a, it's a condition that predisposes you to choosing wrongly. It influences your choice. And the reason it's called a lust is because you'll give in to it no matter what the cost to you. In fact, the truth is, in most instances, people don't even think of the cost to you. The lust is that powerful. Lust then is blinding. Lust 
is all-encompassing. Lust dominates choice so that people who otherwise are wise are rendered, in those areas, are rendered foolish, foolish beyond measure. And we see that all the time. I mean, we see uh, businessmen, hugely successful businessmen, being caught up in, in stings with prostitutes. Happens all the time, makes the news when it does. And people say, why are these highly sophisticated, highly successful businessmen and women, why are they caught up in, in these tawdry schemes? Well, because they lust sexually and they're willing to risk family, career, business, reputation to fulfill the lust. It doesn't make sense. Don't try to make sense out of a lust. It's the way the soul works when it makes decisions based upon emotions. And Satan has entrapped in his wiles, he has created these systems to entrap, to draw you out of any area of strength you may have and to cast you down in, into the pit of your weakness so you will always be seen as your worse self. That's what lusts do. We see politicians, public figures, routinely saying stupid things and then having to say, I am not like that in real life. How many disgraced politicians, how many disgraced stars um, who say stupid things, say things that, are, uh, that even an ordinary person, an unsophisticated, unsuccessful person, would know not to say, and yet it comes out of them. Why? Because it's a reflection of a lust. A lust will move you before you exercise good sense or good judgment or count the cost. That's what lusts do. That's why they're called lusts. Now, sexual lust is a form of lust. It is not the only way that a lust is manifested. Three basic forms, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. People will boast about what they have accomplished. Why? Because they lust for recognition. They desire to emerge out of obscurity and they will cast aside all social norms and boast about their accomplishments and be dubbed as foolish who otherwise have shown great competence. We've, we've watched everyone from princes and kings to vagabonds be named and mentioned and indicted and charged and in many instances convicted 
of all kinds of lustful things. I mean, it's what makes up the headlines anymore, isn't it? It used to be that the National Enquirer was viewed as um, a, a, a pretentious a, a, a rag, a newspaper rag that pretended to be a newspaper. You know, uh, now uh, National Enquirer stories are mainstream stories as we watch a parade of fools entrapped by their lust. This is how powerful the fuel of lust is in luring you into the systems of the cosmos. So, standing against these schemes understands a minimum, at a minimum, understands a requirement, has a minimum requirement as to how, what these schemes are and how do they work. Apart from talking to you about my extensive work in the area of defining the cosmos, I want to read something to you that is a segue into how the power of God is deployed in terms of the armor of God, how the armor of God is successful against these nefarious, um, deeply embedded, terribly appealing schemes of the devil to the lust of human nature. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and he says the following beginning at verse 2, I beg you that when I am present I may not be, I may, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. In other words, don't let me have to deal with you when I come to see you. He had promised to come to see them. Earlier on, uh, he said, don't let me have to be that way with you as I have to be with others who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For, for though we walk in the flesh, we're human beings, so we walk around in the flesh. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Hmm? Hugely important distinction. Though we walk around in the flesh, when, we, when it comes time to engage the devil and his schemes, we're not going to be found in the flesh. Why? Because all of his systems, all of his methodologies, depend upon the allure, depend upon the pull of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. They'll trap you. So he says, when it comes to dealing with the devil, although we walk around clothed upon by flesh, we change our mindsets. We're not fleshly. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride. We're not like that when we deal with the devil. We do not war according to the flesh. Why? Because our, the weapons of our warfare, that's what the armor of God is, they are the weapons of our warfare. Every piece of the armor of God is an effective weapon against the devil's schemes. In fact, 
when, when we go back to first, uh, when we go back to Ephesians 6, Paul begins to tell us that clothed with the armor of God, we'll be able to, quote, withstand, withstand, withstand against the devil's schemes. And it's a synonym of the word nikeo, N-I-K-A-O, nikeo, or the word niki or nike as we, uh, we anglicize it, which is a victorious one. And the term to withstand, I'll come back to it, I'll introduce it now, the term to withstand is the word antihistemi. We get the English uh, pharmaceutical word antihistamines from that. There's a time when we are to stand and in standing we stand against antihistemi. The fashion of our standing the histemi, which is the word for stand, is to stand against as one who is victorious, the devil's schemes. So he says, go back, going back now, defining the weapons of our warfare, which are in the aggregate the armor of God, and each piece of the armor is a weapon to withstand. So it's a weapon, it's a weapon it's a weapon to withstand. No aspect of the armor of God is benign and it's not designed, the armor of God is not designed for defensive action. It's weaponry to stand successfully against, as in one who is Nikeo or Nike, an overcomer. But that, allow me to pursue. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. One of the seven spirits of God, spirit of knowledge. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have thought that taking every thought captive is whenever a thought comes into your mind, wrestle with it and make sure it doesn't get any root in you. That's true, but that's high school. That's Sunday school understanding. It means you measure and judge everything that is said in your environment by the knowledge of God. All the time. Not just in you. But whatever anybody says at any time that does not comport with the soundness of the truth, you are called to judge it, to take it captive. In other words, give it no place. This isn't defensive. It is to say, 
whether it's verbal, to verbalize or to acknowledge internally, this is not the truth. The truth is otherwise. In the fashion in which Jesus engaged Satan in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil, everything that Satan put forth, Jesus arrested it with the truth, didn't he? It is written. When Satan said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones be made into bread, Jesus says, quoting what, is, what was written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Quoting the Old Testament, what Moses said God had told him was the reason he led Israel through the wilderness, that you might know that man does not live on bread alone. Jesus brings that back out and exercises the rule of the representational posture of a son in God. One of the names of God, Elohim, is the word for majesty and the derivative term magistrate found in the 82nd Psalm. And there it is said, I say that you are Elohim, you are gods. Now foolish, uneducated men have rolled that out, you can check it on the internet and see who are among these foolish and uneducated in the scriptures. They're the same ones that God has overthrown now, men who would blow away COVID-19 only after it, and after they had done that, it swept the earth killing millions. Foolish men, you know we're gods, yes, in this sense, the magistrates of God, the Elohim. The role of magistrates is to judge, judge. When we judge, we are clothed in the majesty of God. But these people neither know God nor know the truth. They just want to be clothed with, we are gods. Now we are magistrates. We are the Elohim. We take every thought captive. We arrest it and judge it. Every thought that comes against the knowledge of God by an appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We judge it. We judge it whether it comes up within ourselves or we judge it whether it comes up in our environments. We may articulate our judgment or we may be quiet about it, but we judge it anyway because we're rulers, we're the sons of God and as such we participate in the divine function of the Elohim to judge all things according to the standard represented in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This we these weapons work, they overthrow, the devil has no in insight or entrance into our domains, but we haven't been taught these things, have we? Because our teachers have been busy getting their hands in our pockets 
as their primary goal and leveraging themselves by standing on our backs to their own greatness. That's what God is overthrowing. Do not weep when harlotry is overthrown and removed from among the people of God. Do not weep, it's the time of judgment and it's God, it's God judging and he's judging the folly of the unfaithful. Time must come when judgment must begin at the house of God and it has and it will continue until every vile and contemptible root has been rooted out, cast down, exposed, debunked because God is after a people clothed in the splendor and radiance of His person, like the man above the waters clothed in various forms of delightful array. It says, we bring every thought back now to where I was in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, casting down every argument, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, you're ruling, you're the Elohim. The weaponry of your warfare allows you the legitimacy of bringing out divine standards to judge seductive thoughts, to judge thoughts that would seduce you from loyalty and duty to Christ. You know, if you apply this standard, my goodness, that both the church and the leadership have been soundly asleep, walking in the fire of their lust. And God, God is overthrowing them and separating them from what truly belongs to Him. Paul says, do you look at things according to outward appearances? I mean, is there more to how we are to evaluate things than how they look? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, in other words, that he belongs to Christ, let him, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, that is, he belongs to Christ, even so we belong to Christ or we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat, somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed lest I seem to terrify you by my letters. So I hear some of you saying, you know, when you see him, he's not much to look at, but his letters are these weighty things. 
Now, here is what's true about Christ. And Paul is telling us, we judge things like Christ, in the way that Christ does. Look at the book of uh, Isaiah, chapter 11. Paul says, we're not judging things by outward appearances, not by what they appear to be. We're judging things by the eternal standard of the truth. And he'll, he will define that with greater uh, focus when he talks about, take to yourselves the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How you, it's how you functionally deconstruct the deceptive weapon, the weaponry of the enemy, intending to appeal to the lust, one of the three, and take you captive. Here's what Jesus did and why we are called to judge in the same manner. In Isaiah 11, speaking of Jesus, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Of course, he's speaking prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ, descendant of David, who was the son of Jesse. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Key understanding. Because the Spirit of the Lord animates the spirit of sonship in you, born of the Spirit, carrier of His grace, carrier of His life, which is entirely carried in the Spirit. Spirit of the Lord was upon Him. So when you are like Him, this is what happens to you. So the Spirit of Lordship is on Him, the Spirit of Wisdom is on Him, Spirit of Understanding, the Spirit of Counsel, Spirit of Might, the Spirit of Knowledge and of the Fear of the Lord. Now because of that, investiture as the Son. Same Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ is in us. This is the exactitude of the nature of the Father that He walked in in the seven characteristics, like seven lamps that are blazing before the throne of God. Right? He goes on to say, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. In other words, he's restrained utterly by the fear of the Lord. And because he's restrained by the fear of the Lord, restraint, by the way, is our liberty. Because he's restrained by the fear of the Lord, he will not judge by the sight of his eyes. He doesn't judge by what his soul thinks. Therefore, he's not subject to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, nor the pride of life. His soul is not the basis of his judgment. He doesn't judge by the sight of his eyes, nor does he decide by the hearing of his ears. How does he then? But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, 
and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Guess what the first item of the armor of God is? Stand therefore having your waist girt about with truth. It's how we prosecute the, and how we employ the might and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God vested in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been given all of it in heaven and on earth for our benefit. So we'll look at how each piece of the armor works. I have spent quite a bit of time just talking about the warfare. <laughs> it never occurred to folks that we ought to look at what the warfare is while we are suiting up. If you don't know what you're going, what you're getting dressed for, chances are you won't be dressed properly for the occasion. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue to speak about the armor of God as the way we executively function within the might and power of the living God. Continue to study with me. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.